John 2, 23. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because, of their evil, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. Try and cast your mind back. Just imagine what it would have been like if you had been uh, a first century Jew at the time of Jesus and you, would s- you could see him in action. 
I mean, he was just outstanding in what he taught and the way he taught. We're told that he taught with authority and like he said here, he came from heaven so he knows the God in heaven like no one else could. And so he could bring things to light that no one else possibly could. He did fantastic miracles, multiplying loaves and so on. And people were healed of all sorts of disabilities and illnesses and sicknesses. So he was outstanding. He was amazing. And Nicodemus was a clever man, a very clever man. He was well versed in the Old Testament. And he was so impressed with what he saw of Jesus that he decided that he would find out a bit more by going and having a conversation with him one evening after dark. We don't know why he went after dark. It may be that perhaps he didn't want his colleagues to see that he was fraternising with Jesus. We don't know, but that's just conjecture. But the point is, although Nicodemus had such a huge faith in God, he was in fact living in darkness. His religion was neat and tidy, but lacking. And the conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus revolved around one question. Did Nicodemus prefer to live in that darkness or was he willing to come out of the darkness and step into the light? Nicodemus gets the conversation going. Teacher, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. So Nicodemus straight away had recognised that Jesus was no ordinary teacher. And he wanted to know Jesus a lot better. And Jesus replied, The truth is, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now suddenly Jesus had turned Nicodemus' question round and started to introduce the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus would have understand, un, sorry, understood talk about the kingdom of God in two ways. Firstly, he would have thought of it as a political kingdom and hopefully a kingdom that would bring national independence to the people of Israel that would be restored when God sent the Messiah. And secondly, he would have seen it as a religious kingdom where there would be moral perfection through obedience to the law. Now as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have seen his teaching role as preparing the way for God's kingdom to come on, here on earth. But the way he planned to do that was by getting everybody to obey all the commandments 
that are set out in the Old Testament. And I have never counted them, but I'm told there are 613. Um, So the idea of the Pharisees was that when people started to live their lives bound by those 16, sorry, 613 rules, then there would be such perfection, God would send the Messiah. So consequently, Nicodemus would have been a man of extremely, extremely high moral standards. Somebody that ordinary people would have looked up to with great respect. But not only would he live with high moral standards, he would have had rigorous religious commitment. He would have been very pious, reading his Bible regularly and so on. And Jesus could have just opened his arms and praised his zeal and welcomed him as an ally in their joint campaign to build God's kingdom. But he didn't. He drew a complete line in the sand that totally separated them. Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And what Jesus was in effect saying was that no amount of human effort, ideology, philosophy, religious discipline, church attendance, will enable one to even see the kingdom of God. Unless a poor person is born again, they can't see the kingdom of God. An example of that appears in uh, Matthew's Gospel. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd were amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, Nicodemus's group, said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So there was the kingdom of God in action. But they didn't see it as such. They saw that the only way to get a demon out of somebody was to be working on behalf of the devil. Jesus went on to say, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives the new life from heaven. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And the new birth that Jesus was talking about is miraculous. And I think that's an important point. It is a miracle. Human nature cannot just evolve into it. It, Human nature cannot just evolve, we can't just become improved and improved and improved and become a citizen of the kingdom of God. There's a discontinuity. There's a life outside and a life inside. And the Spirit of God alone has the creative power to enable a person to be transformed in such a way to make that leap from one world into the next, from one kingdom into the other. 
To be born again, or as some people prefer, or some Bibles write it, born from above, is to be changed from the inside out. It's a spiritual act of God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, uh, in the sense very much of missing the mark. You know, we were created to be these perfect humans, and we don't, as God intended. We, we sort of let ourselves down. The Holy Spirit shows us the error of our ways and nudges us and guides us to what we should be doing as well. The Holy Spirit gradually but surely regenerates us. That used to be a very popular word a decade or so ago. So those are just a few hints of what it is to be born again. And Paul goes on to talk about the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ himself lives in you, lives in your hearts, the seat of your emotions, your mind, your actions, your desires. And he does that giving us the assurance that we are a child of God, that we've been adopted into God's family. And we get the joy also that comes with knowing you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us, goes on to produce fruit in our lives and teaches us the truth from Scripture. Simple rule, he inspired the writer, he will inspire the reader. And Ezekiel, that old Testament prophet that talked about the dry bones, you all remember that, said, a word from God, he said, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your old stony stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. So that was happening in Jesus' day and that's part of what Jesus was hinting at about being born again. The old stony heart becomes a heart of flesh. The hard heart becomes softer and more loving. And of course, as we're born of the Spirit, we take on our Father's family likeness. Just as in earthly terms, we're born of our parents and we take their likenesses. But Nicodemus, well, all this new birth stuff just flows over the top of his head. He just can't understand it. Therefore, Jesus goes on and draws an analogy with the wind. You can feel it, and you can see it, you can see the effects that it has as rustles in the trees and blows you over and creates a lot of dust and so on. So it is with God's spirit, he says. You can't control him. You can't predict his next move. You can't provide a set of laws that will explain it. You can't define the Holy Spirit's operation at all but you can observe the effects. You can see the effects as he intervenes in people's lives, in the lives of churches. No psychiatrist can explain it. No theologian can formulate it. But you can, says Jesus, experience it. 
just as you can experience the wind on your face. It's real. Nicodemus went to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Nicodemus had seen Jesus as a very, very special teacher. But he had not seen him as the Son of God. He didn't see the King of the Kingdom for who he was or who he is. He hadn't realised that he was in conversation with the man who had first-hand knowledge of God because he had come from heaven. That Jesus had a special and divine revelation of a unique kind that no other person could possibly have. But there's also an error there in Nicodemus's way because Nicodemus was looking for knowledge. But the crux of the issue is not about our ability to understand, but our willingness to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's all down to belief. Nicodemus sat there with Jesus or maybe standing there with Jesus, did not appreciate at the time who Jesus is. He later did so, but at that time he was still puzzled. And we can be a little bit like him quite often. We can dabble on the margins of Christian commitment because we really don't know who Jesus is or who he really is. And if we don't know who he is, then it's hard to trust him. And we can recognise these people because they argue over small points of doctrine. I can't believe this and I can't believe that. When supposedly the Holy Spirit's in there, telling them the truth, that's what Jesus told his disciples later on in John's Gospel. But like Nicodemus, they're people that are just fooling themselves. Because Christianity is not principally about acceptance of a set of theological propositions. It's a response of personal trust directed towards Jesus himself. Now I was fortunate, I had a a good dad and I know some people haven't had a good dad but you know I think you know when you say perhaps went to the mainland with him and you were walking down these little streets somewhere you just had trust as you were a little boy holding his hand 
that wherever you were going, your dad would get you there. You didn't have a clue what was going on. And that's how it should be with Jesus. And we didn't look up books and look at my dad's CV. Has he ever done this route before? And so on and so on. And people get lost sometimes. And they're blinded. A response of personal trust directed towards Jesus himself. And a great stumbling block we all have, however mature we think we are as Christians, is often our unwillingness to surrender our mind and heart to Jesus' authority. Jesus doesn't ask us to understand everything, because nobody can do that. He is simply asking us to believe who he is 100%. And in a sense, as we come into this big plague of coronavirus, we're the fortunate ones, because we have that belief in Jesus. And we know that whatever happens to our physical body, we will not in fact perish. Christians are by definition born of the Spirit. And it's important that we realise that things of the Spirit matter. And what God's Spirit is doing is what we should be doing as people and what our local church should be doing. We live on an island surrounded by sea and we're used to seeing yachts and, I, and some of you are probably brilliant sailors but when I've been sailing, if you sail downwind, that's with the wind behind you, everything is like calm and you sort of scoot across the sea because you're travelling the same speed as the wind and it, it feels very different. The waves feel longer and it's, it's a much smoother ride. If you're going into the wind as close as you can, you get the wind in your face, you're, you're howling about, the sea's bumpier, it's a much harder journey and it takes longer to get to where you want to go. So I think we need to see where the wind of the Spirit's blowing and hoist our sails, as it were, to catch the wind. Truly to believe in Jesus by allowing his Spirit to work in and through us individually and as a church so that we're in positions where we can go out and demonstrate and proclaim God's kingdom to an alien world. And perhaps with this particular crisis that's hitting the world at the moment, there's a lot of people out there who need to hear our voice. Amen. Let's just pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for everything that Jesus has brought us, for all the teaching and the examples he's shown us, for all the benefits of his passion and resurrection that we have. And Lord, help each one of us 
guided by your Holy Spirit to know him for exactly who he is, to understand him, that our faith in him will grow. And Lord, just sharpen our antenna and tune us in to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us at every moment of our life. Help us all to grow in the family likeness, in your family likeness. And Lord, give us your gifts of wisdom and discernment in this hard time and help us to take out your love to others in whatever way. Lord, just continue to fill us again that we may be truly born-again Christians and not just nominal churchgoers. Lord, do the miracle for each one of us. Amen.